the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Plan Your Estate Radio with your host, San Jose Estate Planning Attorney Bob Bergman. Bob's been practicing law for over 30 years and is certified by the State Bar of California as a legal specialist in estate planning trust and probate law. Bob is here to help you set your house in order with valuable insights you can use today to prepare a better tomorrow for your loved ones. And now your host for Plan Your Estate Radio, Attorney Bob Bergman. Good afternoon, Bay Area. Bob Bergman here broadcasting from my office in San Jose. Uh, I am live today. Of course, if you're listening to this as a podcast, you'll say, no, he's not. I'm listening to a podcast. But I am live today, and I'm prepared to dive right in to my usual format today. Um, We've had kind of some rainy weather lately, and uh, the one thing I do like about rainy weather is it tends to clear the air, and everything smells uh, a little bit fresher after it's been raining for a while. Um, But the, the drawback is that when it rains like this, my allergies tend to flare up, although this time around, I seem to be doing a lot better. It may be because I'm eating better and uh, taking better care of myself. That could be uh, a reason why I'm actually doing better in the allergy department. So let me jump right in. I will let you know that I am taking calls today. If you'd like to call in with a question uh, or comment about the show, uh, the number is 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220 if you'd like to talk with me today on the air. Um, also, I uh, thought I'd let you all know that um, at the end of this month, I will have uh, s- celebrated three years on the air with this show. It's hard for me to believe I've been on the air that time. It seems like I just started a couple months ago, but it'll been three years on the air. Um, I've enjoyed myself during this time. I hope those of you who have been listening a long time, you've enjoyed my shows as well. And those of you who may be joining us for the first time, um, you know, hopefully you'll be a listener going forward for the next three years. <clears throat> and hopefully I'll be on the air uh, for another three years and even beyond that time. So let's get started. Again, 800-516-1220 if you'd like to call and talk with me on the air. Otherwise, let's go with some questions and comments from around the state of California. Okay, so here is uh, one out of, let's see, it is out of California. And some idea, uh, let's see, a person said, uh, my grandfather passed away in New York. He has appointed me the executor of his and my grandmother's estate. I live in California. Can I get letters testamentary in California? I need to open an estate account, and there's a delay in the courts in New York. Well, I'll tell you what. The answer is you're going to have to deal with the delay in the courts in New York. Um, 
If your grandfather was a resident of New York, then uh, that is the appropriate place to do any kind of a probate. Um, if if your grandparents had a trust and not a will, wills are more common in New York than trusts, then it's uh, then you might be able to administer it out here in California. But if it's a will, unfortunately, you're going to have to go through the probate process in New York State because that's where your grandparent was a residence. There's really no way to get around that. Sorry, I wish there was a better answer, but that's the... Uh, the best answer that um, that I can have for that. Okay, here's uh, one out of Los Angeles. Says um, a relative of mine lost the original living trust documents created when her husband was still alive. She has a copy without signatures or notarization. Her house was recorded under the trust, and the bank uh, for the mortgage was provided a certificate of the trust. Should she restate the old trust or create a brand new trust? What is the best solution? Well, this is a simple question, which could have a very complicated answer. If the original trust created with her husband, um, provided that everything passes to the survivor, then she might be able to create, um, create a new trust or even restate the old trust and uh, restate it as everything in her name with her as the trustor and the trustee. But if the original trust said that the property was to be divided, and by that I mean um, split into two or more pieces at the death of her husband, this is what I've called in the past the, the AB marital trust, then it's not really possible for her to restate the trust or create a brand new trust uh, if there are obligations in the original trust to divide the property up at the first death. In a situation like this, um, if there is a copy of the trust to refer to and, uh, and it says that everything passes to her, I would probably do a... Um, a restatement of the old trust um, as as the uh, surviving spouse's trust or the survivor's trust from the original trust so that everything is actually owned by that. But this is not an uncommon situation, and there's not necessarily a simple solution or a correct solution for every time something like this comes up. Okay, here's a question. If a will says, I leave all assets not already included in my trust to be added to that trust, the question is, do I need to go through probate? The assets are in a brokerage. I gave the brokerage a copy of the will and the trust. The brokerage company is converting IRA accounts, which are not in the trust, into accounts that have the name of the trust. Do these funds have to go through probate? And if so, do I include them in the probate inventory list? Well, I'll tell you, there's not enough information to really answer this question. Um, I think the only reason a brokerage company would be converting IRA accounts into accounts in the name of the trust is if a trust was named as the beneficiary of those IRA accounts. And if that is the case, 
those accounts don't actually go through probate. However, they do have to be included as assets of the deceased person on an inventory, uh, probate inventory. Um, They're not actually probatable assets, meaning they don't go through the probate process, but they have to be identified. They have to be identified because creditors might have claims against the estate and they have a right to know if there are assets that were owned by the person that died that passed outside of the probate estate. Those assets could still be subject to creditors' claims. Um, Creditors could go after those assets even if they passed to someone's trust or if they passed to another uh, person. Um, So that is just something to be aware of out there. Um, Doing an IRA beneficiary doesn't automatically mean that uh, creditors have no claim on those monies. Uh, The creditors' claims still exist there, and it's something that I'm sure a lot of people are not aware of, but it's something to be very careful that uh, if you do receive some kind of asset that has a beneficiary designation, you want to make as clear as you can that the person who owned that asset didn't have a lot of unpaid bills, especially bills to tax authorities such as the IRS or here in California also the Franchise Tax Board or even real property taxes, Uh, just any kind of a tax lien or creditor lien or debt. You want to make sure that those don't exist before you go, hooray, I can now, I can spend all this money freely or do whatever I want with it. It's not necessarily free and clear until that happens. So we're coming up on the first break of the show today. Um, I will come back to you after the break. Uh, This is attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your Estate Radio. And we'll get back together after the break with more questions and comments from around the state of California. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio. Once again, your host, estate planning trust and probate law specialist, attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, welcome back. So uh, if you'd like to call in, it's 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220 if you'd like to talk with me on the air. Um, I'm going to continue on with more questions and comments from around the state of California. Okay, here... um, So here is a situation in Southern California. A person said, my father passed and left everything to uh, me and my siblings to be divided four ways. One of my sisters wants to keep everything and not uh, give us anything. Well, okay. So three of the four children want to sell dad's property. One of them doesn't. Well, here's the deal. Um, the three win. And and if the one who doesn't want to sell, if, if that person is now on the title of the property because the, uh, because the property has been distributed to the four siblings and now they're all on the title and one of them doesn't want to sell, then any one of the other three or all three of the other three, uh, if necessary, can go to court and file what's called a partition action. Now, I've never actually done one in my career, but a partition action 
is where you go to court and say basically to the court, um, I own an interest in this property. I want my interest cashed out. This person or these other people on the property refuse to sell. So, uh, judge, I'm asking that you order that this property be sold so that I can cash out my interest and basically get on with my life. So that's what a partition action is. And that is um, that is what will be done in a situation like this. Okay, here's uh, one out of Sacramento. person says, I'm the only child, and my mother wants to leave her house to me, but she's afraid that someone's going to steal it from me after she's gone. Is there a way she can make a way to where I can't sell the house uh, so that no one could take it from me? The answer is yes. Um, I do this kind of planning for uh, for families all the time. I do it in the context of leaving property in trust for a child or children or grandchild or whomever it may be and uh, leaving it in trust rather than leaving it directly to a child. I call this castle trust planning. The idea being that the trust is kind of like a castle uh, where the property is inside the castle and protected from people who might try to take it from the person, uh, either through the dissolution of a marriage or a creditor's claim or a malpractice claim if the beneficiary of the trust, the child, is a uh, is a professional of some kind. It could be sued for malpractice. In the case here, if this person is truly concerned about the property being taken from them after the mother dies, I would advise the mother set up a trust like this to receive this property after your death. Put a third-party trustee in charge of the trust, meaning don't put your child in charge of the trust. Put a third party, a professional like an attorney or CPA or a licensed professional fiduciary or maybe a trust company or the trust department of a bank. Put them in charge of this property uh, so that your child can live there and your child is not making any kind of decisions about the property, uh, including having the power to sign a deed or something like that um, to give the property away, be tricked into giving the property away. That would be the best protection I could think of uh, as long as the child's willing to, to say, yes, I would like to have this property cared for for me so that it can't be stolen from me or, or I can't be tricked to turn it over to somebody. And uh, I call that castle trust planning. And, uh, and it should be pretty clear why I call it castle trust planning based on the description I just gave. <clears throat> okay, so here. Uh, my best friend and his mother can't afford a living trust because he's paying off child support. I suggested to him that mom, his mom could do a transfer on death deed, which might be a good idea until he catches up on all his bills. Uh, I didn't want to give him any wrong advice on avoiding probate. Can a transfer on death deed avoid probate? Uh, the short answer is yes, it can. Provided that at the death of the person who did the deed, the beneficiary named on the deed is still alive. That seems pretty obvious, but a lot of people miss that point. 
and uh, provided that the transfer on death deed, that a new one is not done later, uh, either changing the beneficiary or that something isn't recorded that revokes or cancels the, the transfer on death deed. As a general rule, I advise against using a transfer on death deed because there's other practical considerations, uh, not the least of which is that if someone received that property and then turned around and went to try to sell the property, they may find that a title company is very hesitant to insure the title because they can't be absolutely sure that there isn't some kind of claim out there about the transfer on death deed being uh, being executed by someone who lacked the capacity to do that, or maybe there are other children of the person that uh, would make a claim that the transfer on death deed was obtained by fraud or duress or threat or menace of some kind, which are um, basic grounds for overturning uh, any kind of transaction. If you can prove that the person was threatened, that they lacked mental capacity, that there was fraud involved, those all could be attacks on something like a transfer on death deed. So title companies may be hesitant to insure the title, and it's kind of hard to sell a property if the buyer cannot get title insurance, ensuring that they have clear title on the property. So I generally recommend against transfer on death deeds, except as maybe a very, 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 very temporary measure until proper estate planning can be done. So um, that kind of answers that right there. Okay, so I'm going to save that one for after the break because it's going to take a little bit more explanation. So we have about a minute to go in this segment of the show. And uh, here's a question I think uh, I think pretty much anybody out there should be able to answer. Can a neighbor go into a deceased person's house where that person had no will and start taking things? Well, last time I checked in the law, uh, that's called breaking and entering and robbery, uh, theft. Uh, you, you, you can't go into somebody's house just because they died and start taking things. Um, that's illegal. So I think whether they have a will or not, doesn't really matter. It's still illegal. Okay, we're coming up on the bottom of the show. And uh, after this break, we'll come back with more questions and comments from around the state of California. This is Attorney Bob Bergman, and I'll see you on the other side of the break. This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW. And welcome back. Um, If you'd like to call in, the number is 800-516-1220. Would love to have a call today. Uh, It would be a reminder to me that hopefully at least a handful of people are are listening to the show. And uh, it would uh, encourage me to stay on the air for another three years. Okay. So here's a question. Let's see. It's actually two questions, but I'll see if I can kind of blend them into uh, one overall thought. 
If a trust takes effect upon the death of the person who created the trust, is the trust revocable or irrevocable? Um, well, it could be either. Um, a trust can be revocable when it's created or irrevocable when it's created. Revocable means it can be changed. Irrevocable is the opposite. It means it can't be changed. Although I will say an irrevocable trust can sometimes be changed even after it's been signed and put in place, depending on particular circumstances. But uh, typically, if a trust says that it becomes irrevocable on the upon the death of the person, it starts life as a revocable trust. Uh, sometimes the trust doesn't actually get carried out until the person dies. That could be a revocable or an irrevocable trust. This person then went on to ask, um, does it take place upon the death of the trustee? The answer is no. The trustee of the trust doesn't really control whether it's revocable or irrevocable or whether it is now set to be terminated unless the trustee of the trust is the person who created the trust. And the trust says to now do distributions or things like that because that person has now died. Okay, out of Los Angeles. Will planning my estate result in being tax or estate tax-free when I'm dead? Well, the short answer is a definite yes, no, or maybe. And I say that because um, without more information, it's kind of hard to tell. Uh, if the estate is not too large as defined by federal law, then the answer is there would be no estate tax. Uh, depending on what the estate owns, the types of assets owned, there may be no income tax owing. I will say, though, that if there are IRAs and 401k plans, then uh, unless those are Roth IRAs or Roth 401k plans, then there actually will be tax owing at some point on the the value of the the IRAs and and the um, 401k plans and similar types of assets retirement plans but just the act of planning doesn't necessarily mean that things are taxable or not but i will tell you that with proper planning you can often reduce or eliminate the tax impact of debt and that's why I do estate planning. I help individuals and couples all the time with their estate planning, which often involves income and estate tax planning, and also some property tax planning, real property tax planning, and a lot of other considerations, like avoidance of conservatorship while you're alive and avoidance of probate at death all of which are considerations in the planning process. I mean, I've said this many, many times over the past three years. Estate planning is a specialty in the law. It is not something that you should try to do on your own any more than you should try to repair your modern automobile that has computers on board uh, any more than um, the vast majority of people out there should not try to build their own house. 
should not try to put in their own sewer line, should not try to wire or repipe their house, should not try to diagnose and treat um, their illness. Um, there are reasons why there are professions and skilled trades, and that's because the people who in those professions and those skilled trades are much better equipped to get the job done well, to get the job done right, and to get it done the first time. That is very, very important. Um, so I'm going to urge all of you out there, as much as it's alluring to use an online service or pick up a book to do your estate plan, please don't do that. I spend a fair amount of time in my practice, and I have over the last 40 years, dealing with situations where someone did their own trust, did their own estate plan, and there were serious problems, and we had to go to court to fix it, or we we had to um, completely redo things, maybe even through the court system, hopefully sometimes able to redo them before someone died. But after someone's died, it becomes a lot harder to correct the problems that were created because things were not done properly. In that category, I also add, uh, if you have estate planning documents done, don't write on them. Don't cross things out. Don't write new things in. Uh, don't scratch things out. It's a very bad idea. Uh, that could have the legal effect of showing your clear intent that you didn't want something in there anymore. But it could also uh, have the legal effect of not having the things you wrote in by hand be considered at all, which means that there's actually now a hole in the document with unanswered questions. And the only place you can go to answer the questions when there's a hole in an estate planning document is the court, specifically the court that handles probate in your county, what we just generally refer to as the probate court, even though it's just a uh, typically one or more departments in the Superior Court that handle probate matters. Here in Santa Clara County, we now have two probate courts. Um, for all of my practice years, we just had one, but uh, pretty recently we added a second one, and that's good because we are a large county here in Santa Clara County, and there's a lot of work in the probate courts, and having two judges uh, spreads the burden around um, a little bit more and makes things uh, more efficient and able to be handled uh, in a more expeditious manner. Okay, out of Los Angeles, this uh, woman asks, My husband just placed his house in a trust, naming his sister trustee and ultimate beneficiary. Can I stop her? I'm not sure what the question really means. Can she stop her her sister-in-law? Can she stop her what? Um, if this person's husband actually owns a house and it's completely separate from the marriage, uh, he has the right to take and put his house, uh, give it to anyone he wishes, put his house in a trust, name his sister as the trustee, and name her as the current or the future beneficiary. 
That's his right, if in fact it truly is his separate property. Um, if the wife has a claim that it is not separate property, uh, perhaps because um, monies have been used from the marriage for several years to make the mortgage payments and the property tax payments and maintaining this house, um, then she might actually have a community property claim to some interest in the house that she could challenge. But really the time maybe to challenge it is at the time he does this transfer um, and, uh, and, and, in, and deal with it now. If the husband's not willing to entertain that or consider that at all, it may be that a marriage like this is on its way to ending. And uh, that's just kind of a fact, kind of a fact of life. Okay, my wife bought a house prior to our marriage. We've lived in the house for almost 14 years. I'll just say to a side there, kind of going off that previous question, that means that the husband might very well have some kind of community property interest in the house, even though it was purchased by his wife prior to the marriage. So now she wants to add my name to the title. We were told we need to file a quit claim in order to do this. Do we need a real estate attorney or is this something that only needs to be notarized? What's the cost of going through this process? Well, for something like this, I personally, I would charge about $300 to draw up the transfer deed. Um, I would add language to the deed indicating that that the wife is intending to change the ownership from her ownership to their ownership. Sounds like the intent is to have this property be community property where it's now owned by the marriage instead of just owned by the wife. And if that's the case, we would want to make sure that um, that this property uh, does in fact um, reflect that on the title. They probably should consider setting up a trust as well to make it even clearer what the intended ownership is. Now, one more quick question before the uh, the third break today, and it's a simple question. In a living trust, who has legal title? Well, with a trust, whoever is named as the trustee or trustees has what we call bare legal title. They may or may not be the actual owners of the property, um, but bare legal title means uh, the ability to transfer uh, the property and deal with the property. But the trustee is not necessarily the the actual owner of the property. Okay, coming up on the third break, we'll talk with you after the break. This is attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your Estate Radio. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Okay, um, we're back for the final segment today. Um, Earlier in the show, I I made reference to a podcast. And uh, for those of you maybe who are just joining us, um, or if you want to listen to the show again, or you want to have a friend of yours be able to listen to the show, uh, all of my shows are rendered as podcasts at kdow.biz, that's dot B-I-Z. Uh, go to kdow.biz 
and go to the podcast drop-down and look for Plan Your Estate Radio, and you can find uh, shows from the past uh, three years or so there. And uh, if you'd like to listen to a show again, you can always go there and uh, uh, and uh, listen to it again. Plus, my show is generally rebroadcast again Saturday afternoons at 3 o'clock p.m. and then the following Tuesday evening from 6 o'clock to 7 o'clock p.m. Okay, here's a question out of San Francisco. A person said, I'm the trustee of a fairly sizable, irrevocable trust. There are two beneficiaries, and they asked if I could just pass both the tax money and the capital gain entirely to them and then make them responsible for paying the taxes. They'd sign a waiver to that effect. The trust doesn't have any requirement that we pay the trust taxes, and there's nothing precluding us from doing it. Question, is this legal in California? Can we just divide the money and pass it through as a divided capital gain, and then the beneficiaries can figure out the tax burden on their own? Well, the short answer to the question is, if the trust says that income and gains or or that the property is to be passed out to the beneficiaries, then that would be the normal thing you would do. You would actually distribute the income out. The trustee would prepare and file with the IRS and give a copy to the beneficiary, a document called a K-1, which breaks down the uh, income and uh, the type of income, whether it's ordinary income or capital gain income, and then reports that to the IRS and lets the IRS know, here are the uh, beneficiaries who received this income and how much they received. And then the beneficiaries uh, take the K-1 and use it on their own tax return to uh, pay the income tax. So generally speaking, if the trust provides for distributions, then what this person's asking is not only legal, it's what would be pretty much required. Okay, how long does a trustee have to transfer an asset to a beneficiary uh, after uh, a trust has become irrevocable? Well, there's really no set time. Um, the Kind of the general rule is in a reasonable amount of time, now, that being said, what's reasonable is going to change from situation to situation. Uh, for example, if there's litigation involving property, um, transferring the property before that litigation is resolved may not be appropriate and it may take until the litigation is done. Um, if all debts have been paid and it's known that, that there are no other debts and and uh, and the, and it's ready to be transferred, then transferring it pretty much uh, as quickly as possible may make more sense. So there's no like definitive rule in the law that says how long it is before you have to transfer. Um, it really is kind of a sliding scale based on uh, the difficulty of administration and whether there's debts to be paid, all kinds of things like that. Okay, here's a question. Uh, so my grandmother died a year ago, and um, and she was my mother's mother. My mother died five years ago, so mom died before grandma died. 
Can I get my mother's part of grandma's estate if my mother is already deceased? Well, um, unless grandma's estate was in a trust and says it goes someplace else, it probably says any share that goes to your mother instead passes to you and any siblings you have. If grandma had no will, uh, died intestate, we called, then under the laws of intestate succession, your mother's share would pass to you and be divided between you and any siblings you may have. If you're an only child, then it would pass to you. It would have to go through the probate process to do that. But that would be the general law right there. So in the absence of some kind of a document that says something different, the general law would say you receive the share of the already deceased parent that would have come to that parent from your now deceased grandparent. Um, so that's kind of the general rule. Now, your mileage may vary. <laughs> so I'm not saying that's absolutely going to be the case, um, but it's something that uh, that the law provides for uh, if there is someone who would ordinarily inherit who has already died. So we're coming up on the end of our show today. Um, I hope you've enjoyed the show. I plan on being back on the air in person a week from now. That will pretty much be celebrating the end of my third year on the air on KDOW with Plan Your State Radio. I want to urge you, if you need to have your planning done, feel free to give me a call at 408-247-0444 or email me at rpb at lawbob.com. You can also visit my website at lawbob.com. Until next Friday, this is Attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your State Radio. Have a great weekend. You've been listening to Plan Your State Radio with estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. For more information on today's program or to schedule a consultation, visit lawbob.com, L-A-W-B-O-B, lawbob.com. Or call his office in San Jose, 408-247-0444. That's 408-247-0444. And be sure to tune in next week for more Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of this station and are for informational purposes only and should not be construed to be legal, financial, or tax advice. Seek appropriate legal advice regarding your particular situation. Attorney Bob Bergman does not offer any guarantees with regard to the outcome of your legal matter. Prior results in other cases do not guarantee a similar outcome in your case. All rights reserved.